Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Warden's Watch, Episode 100, Bonus. I can never let things go. When there's a good thing happening, I want to prolong it. You know, I'm the guy that hangs out to the party to the end, just because this might be an after party. So this is uh, the bonus round. This is kind of the after party to episode 100, which to me was pretty epic having CJ Box on our 100th episode of Warden's Watch. It just was a great way to kick it off. But I wanted to bring back guests. I wanted to kind of regurgitate the last 100 episodes. So what we did is we selected a few guests to come back. And I want to thank them for coming back and having a little chat. Uh, Colonel Kevin Jordan was on number three of the Warden's Watch podcast. We brought him back. Chris McCabe from the main Warden Service, who was on Northwood's Law, one of their uh, stars, so to speak. Benny Richards from Texas joined us again. Lone Star Law, author. He's got several books out now, including a, a children's book called Furry Tales. So thank you for joining us, Benny. I really appreciate that. And our producer, Jay Scott, joined us as well, which was uh, really cool. You get a little of the technical stuff. And of course, John Norris, my co-host, and myself uh, were able to uh, do this 100th bonus. It was done pretty cool. We had some really cool conversations about some of the things that are affecting Fishing game conservation across the country. John updated it on his second release of Hidden War, as well as Benny talked about his new book. Uh, we talked about lands, uh, open lands, keeping lands open, camera issues, the podcast, the TV shows, uh, Wild Justice, Northwoods Law, Lone Star Law. We kind of wrapped that in there. So it's a really good conglomerate of what we've done in the past. And I I recognize that a lot of people that watched Northwood's Law listen to the Warden's Watch podcast. So I kind of wanted to take some of those TV personalities and wrap them into a Warden's Watch to celebrate our podcast. Because I always call Warden's Watch podcasts the backstage of Northwood's Law or the backstage of all those TV shows, because we're able to talk about a lot of the things that you don't see on those TV shows. Those TV shows are produced to give you quality viewing experiences. And sometimes we take the nitty gritty in the Warden's Watch podcast, and we're able to go behind the scenes and talk about some of those issues, as well as the incidents that you don't see on uh, the TV shows as much. Oh, 
Thank you all to my listeners. I really appreciate it. If you'd like to become a Patreon member, if you go to the Warden's Watch podcast on Patreon, $5 a month really helps us out a lot, as I talked about in this episode of Warden's Watch. Again, thank you to my listeners, and I just can't let it go. So here's the 100th bonus round. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Warden's Watch 100 bonus. So excited to have a group of former guests on Warden's Watch today. Uh, John and I discussed in depth how what, what, what we should have, you know, as a kind of a celebration thing, a recap type thing on 100 episodes of Warden's Watch. And we talked about people that maybe were on television because we have a bull from Northwoods Law. John was on Wild Justice, uh, Benny Richards uh, with Lone Star Law. And we thought that was a good segment because that that's a part of the communications the game warden the game wardens had and this podcast is an extension of the communications it's uh, to get out the message to sportsmen other game wardens that that's really interesting to me i never thought uh, Warden's Watch would be popular with other game wardens, but I think we enjoy hearing each other's stories and the differences around the country. So that's kind of neat. And we've kind of used it as a training tool. I know uh, the colonel's been on with, uh, you know, about the shootings uh, when I when I was shot in the line of duty. And that has been probably one of the most dynamic podcasts we did was that series. And to wrap it up with Paula Booth, one of the, the counselors. And I have heard that from officer after officer that that meant a lot. And it was it was really appreciated that we shared that, and I, and I think we continue with Kevin Bear being shot in Ohio as well. I've heard a lot of good feedback from that, and we're using it as a training tool to the stories because we can learn from these podcasts. And I, I I learned a little accounting thing the other day from the podcast, and everybody's blown my mind. They think I'm smart, but I'm like I listen to a podcast and then I ask my accountant, and they're like, Yeah, that's absolutely right. And they're like, How did you know that, Wayne? I'm like. Well, I heard it on a podcast because no one knows that stuff. <laughs> so we we are celebrating a, a hundred, John. Can you believe this? A, a hundred. I mean, it, it it seems like it was forever to get there, but we're here. Yeah, making triple digits, guys. Is yeah. I mean, it, it it's really kudos to the thin green line being out there and being mm. relevant. People are enjoying listening to us. We're very fortunate to have listeners and viewers. And um, I always feel, you know, throughout my career as blessed as we all are here on the podcast today to do what we do on the thin green line as conservation officers, but how thin we really are, you know, Mm -hmm. when, when you really get down to the numbers of what we have to do and how incredibly challenging our job has changed into, I know certainly on the West coast with the special operations side, it will talk a little bit about um, as well as patrol duties and everything else. And uh, the search and rescue element that we talk about so much that you guys do so much on the East coast and other tasks 
that most of the public just doesn't have any idea. And so, you know, having Chris and Benny and, and, and Kevin Colonel here with us today, it's a real honor and privilege to make this milestone and just know that we are getting our word out and uh, that people like game wardens. Um, Wayne talked a little bit about, I guess, one of the things we all have in common other than our passion for conservation is the fact that we've been on game warden reality shows, right? <laughs> um, and I know for our agency, I'll just talk about it for a minute. It was an overall very positive experience. But for us in California, that was the first time we had ever done anything like that. Um, it was debated heavily at the administration level for liability issues. Uh, and we did three seasons. Um, and we only did three seasons just simply because we had kind of tapped out our officers um, for commitments, you know, and how much. And Chris, Benny, Kevin, you guys know, and Wayne, if you're one of those guys or gals that's on that, you know, that they're following around all the time, season after season after season, uh, it can get really exhausting, you know, as, as well as the benefits it brings. And, you know, Nat Geo, National Geographic was a huge uh, network, obviously, and they were they were great to work with. They gave us a wide reach. But one thing we didn't have on our show is any type of editing control. And we could not drive the stories like Northwood's Law does so well, where you get a balance of really aggressive poachers that are very dangerous and you have the felony element. That's what Nat Geo was kind of playing towards because that's what got that A-list rating and made it a number one hit. But to do a hunter safety highlight or you know validating a young man or young lady's deer for the first time while they're out hunting we weren't getting a lot of those stories that show the positive relationships that we have with 99 percent of our constituents out there right so um we, we we decided to stop at three years when we had three more years offered and we did what and it worked well you know we filled every position in the state we have a hiring list and a waiting list now um, we got veterans from overseas with a lot of experience in the military and previous careers. And we just got a better candidate pool of really good future conservation officers as a result of the show. So it was really positive for us. And certainly watching and following you guys on Northwoods Law, it's continued to be very positive and, and definitely want to hear your guys' experiences of, of uh, how it's gone for you. Mm. And I'm going to cut in a little there because we just had uh, Jay Scott, our producer, join us, which is kind of a rare, rare thing. But I want you to guys to know that the, the quality of the Warden's Watch podcast, the Thin Green Line podcast, is the result of Jay, who was probably instrumental in the, the outdoor podcast segment with the Big Buck Registry started in 2013, correct, Jay? Yep, exactly. Yeah, and he, uh, I'll tell you, the stuff he does for John and I, he, we, we think he's, you know, that miracle person that everybody has there that just uh, makes this digital stuff go, and we stand in awe. You know, that that that's Jay for us. It just, we, we, we suggest it, and we don't think it can be happening. Jay's like, yeah, that's not a big deal. I'll take care of that. And me and John <laughs> sit there and go, wow. So he, he is the cog that makes this really work. He is the, the person that has taught me so much and has driven the quality of the, the Warden's Watch podcast because, you know, to go through and, and do these productions after, it's a lot of work. And, and Jay has taught me how to do that. And I think he's happy that he doesn't have to do it anymore. But, uh, and Jay, uh, do you, you want to say anything? Well, I. I'm, I'm glad you took over that role, Wayne. The <laughs> beginning was always to teach you how to do it, and then you could kind of leave me off the side, and I could go do some other projects, and you can do all that nitty-gritty behind-the-scenes stuff. You become a master. Yeah. 
Well, when it hit me in the pocketbook, that's when it started to, to change there for sure. As everybody knows me, I can be a very frugal person. Uh, <laughs> and not that you were you were treating me good, but I will tell you, <laughs> when push comes to shove, I learn stuff out of necessity more than anything. <laughs> And the colonel has many stories like that. I... <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Jay, I used to deduct Wayne on my taxes because I fed him too many meals. True story. Right I get it. Yeah. That was that meal fee. Deduction. Yes. And he wasn't right. the only one. I had many a stop to, to, to eat, yes, you know. Yeah. If, if I missed yeah, supper, had I had a couple other places. Up to, showing up at dinner time. What's going on? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I was a master. I do, think, I do think that you guys have filled a great void. I, you know, it impressed me with the last five new officers that we've hired here in New Hampshire. One just recently, I had this conversation two days ago, who are dedicated fans of this, that wa- that listen to it religiously. And that's kind of cool that they, you know, that they're working here now and they're paying that kind of attention to it. So I think it speaks volumes to volume to your comment about you know filling a need it certainly is filling a need and and people are taking advantage of it and that's kind of good to see so because uh, yeah. we were a well-kept secret you know we were well all of us were a well-kept secret and those days have to change you have to change that you yeah. know and on that point kevin it was interesting because wayne and i uh started a co-host right after covid dropped and then we started the thin green line podcast to bring in all those different elements from non-conservationists that are in that thin green right. line realm um and right. we had never, other than when we did our podcast together, Wayne, at, at the one conference in Tahoe, right before the world changed, you and I hadn't been face-to-face for three years. Yeah. And we've been doing all these remotely, and we get to know we a conference in Nashville this year in July, and we set up a podcast booth. And Kevin, to your point, it was so amazing to get Game Wardens face-to-face again and hear the yeah. positive feedbacks of, yeah, man, I listen to the podcast, but not only that, you know, talk to this guy. Talk to this canine handler. She's amazing. And just getting more states represented face to face and getting global, you know, um, it, it was, it, I mean, it shocked us. It shocked mm-hmm. us the support, the level of support we had. Um, super appreciative of it. And everybody on the conversation today has been such a big part of outreach above and beyond what everybody's necessarily doing, you know, with agencies. And, and, and you're right. I mean, we're doing a lot of stuff and, we got a kind of a small voice unless we get out on the on the Ethernet a little bit. And we're very grateful right. to be doing that and you guys to be so supportive and, and to have been on the show and, and continue to push it. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And we have Chris. Oh, and we have Chris McCabe joining us from Maine as well, who was uh, the one of the forerunners on Northwoods Law for sure. And now has a really cool job uh, as the landowner relationship guy in Maine. I know the. I was just talking pre-recording with the colonel over landowner issues, and those are game warden issues, aren't they, Chris? And uh, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I mean, I really appreciate it. Uh, It's an honor to be here and to be thought of for the 100th episode of your podcast. Um, Yeah, I mean, I kind of moved out of the field from a district game warden this past spring into the landowner relations corporal position here in Maine, uh, which we have two of us. Uh, and the other one was also on Northwoods Law, Rick LaFlame. Um, and we're the two corporals that deal with landowner relations throughout the state of Maine. And Maine is a little bit unique, similar to New Hampshire, where we're 95% privately owned. Um, so the majority of recreation occurs on private landowners. And that's uh, hiking, biking, uh, hunting, fishing, trapping, boating, anything like that that you got to access uh, issue. 
And here in Maine, we look at that as an extremely important uh, opportunity because if we don't have that, our positions are kind of void. Um, and we were kind of talking about game cameras and stuff and uh, the laws going over in New Hampshire. And um, we really try to kind of hit that stuff before we have it get to the legislature so that we can kind of curb that activity. Mm -hmm. And for us, like we deal with a lot of landowners like that are large landowners, the paper products companies, but also the individuals down in Maine that uh, where expanded archery hunting is occurring. And uh, they may not want all the deer around that are eating their hostas or uh, all the vegetables that they're growing in the garden. So it's really diverse. And really when I kind of went for this into this position, um, I realized that if we don't have that access in the future, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. For me, it was very important that I could kind of use my role that I had before uh, being on TV to go out there and put a face to a name, be able to go and knock on those landowners doors and talk to them see if we can preserve that for future generations because have it we really don't have a job that's the fear we'll see where we go from there mm. and colonel you were just in the legislature fighting for those landowner rights and preserving access for hunters weren't you yeah so we you know i as i told the um as i explained to the senators the other day i said the number one complaint we get here begins in september and it goes through december and, and actually two big complaints and one is they've got cameras on my land and I don't know who these people are and how can they do that. And the second one is, I've, you know, we got tree stands. We're trying to do a logging job. These stands have been here forever and we don't know who they are or what rights do I have to get them out of there. So, and I work like Chris, I, I, we, we have learned here in New Hampshire that there is something to be said for trying to maintain a good, healthy balance and relationship between our landowners and our sportsmen and women, because New Hampshire, as Chris has, has pointed out, New Hampshire is in Maine are both uh, primarily the majority of our properties are private property. So every time we lose an acre, that's an acre you're not going to get back. And a good example of that was, as I explained to the legislature last week, I went out and actually became a real game warden again for, for a couple of days. It was on the holiday and in New Hampshire here. I forced these guys to get back out in the field because how better to know what's going on, but to go out and do it yourself. And uh and it's good for your health to actually get away from these phones and computers. So I was out on a piece of property that had always been open land. And I'm driving along to the end of this dead end, very long road, dead end road with great deer habitat. And suddenly I'm running into new posted signs and, and brand new. And so as I drove up to the residence to turn around, the woman was on her porch. So I said, you know what? This is a great opportunity. So I pull in there, get out of the truck. And the television show has helped us in this because people kind of welcome us now because they they even though I disappointed them because I'm not one of the stars. Um, I explained to her that this is a, this is a radio face, not a television face. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, I said to her, I said, you know, I, I got to ask you, we we chatted about the weather and about her dog. She was taking her dog for a walk. I said, listen, the reason I stopped, I noticed you got a brand new signs, you got brand new posted signs up there. And I said, uh, you know, I, I view this as a loss to the, to the, to the state of New Hampshire, the citizens of the people that walk and hike and bike and, and uh, hunt. And she said, it's 555 acres. And I said, I know. I said, I'm really, I feel bad about it. And I, I guess my point of my conversation here is what can I do to help? You know, what, what created this and what can I do to help? And it was all brought, same story, won't surprise you guys, brought on by one hunter who just parked by her paddock every day where her horses were. And he was going in the woods in the morning with a rifle on his shoulder. She didn't want to see it. She didn't mind hunting. She didn't want it in her face every day. And so she waited for him one night. He gave her a, a bad time, said it was his right to do this. And uh, and so she said, well, I can fix that. And she did just that. And so 
I relayed that to the uh, senators in there. And I said, listen, we're not trying to eliminate cameras. Cameras are becoming one of the more popular uh, hunting tools that I've seen in my time. I got cameras on top of, I've got cameras aimed at cameras to see who's in these guys' favorite hunting spots. It's just, it's borderline ridiculous. And I got very angry landowners who are threatening to shut their land down if we don't get some kind of control on it. So that's really what I was here there for was to get some control to make hunters go to the door and ask permission. Uh, not banning it, just just get permission. Most landowners have told me I wouldn't mind it, but I want to know who it is. I want to know where that picture's going. And we had landowners come in, big landowners come in from the Farm Bureau and the Timberlands Association that really helped me drive home how important this was to try and appease these landowners. And they told some of the horror stories that they had. And, you know, the goal was to get sportsmen to understand that this is necessary, even though it's a bit of a problem. Um, you know, we've got the technology today to make it easier. One of the complaints from some of the hunters, well, you know, it's hard to tell the landowners who the landowners are. And I, and mm-hmm. I explained to them, I said, I, I got to tell you, fellas, I got an app on my phone. I can, I can walk. I walked Monday and I can tell whose land I'm on. And I walked to the boundaries to actually see how accurate that app was. It was amazing. I bought subscriptions for, for all of my officers. Uh, it's Onyx that we use. And then I found free mm-hmm. ones, HuntStand. You know, all of these are free apps that you can download to your phone. And it literally tells you who the landowner is. So there really isn't a valid reason. And the tree stands was kind of the same thing. Mark your name on it and get permission to put them there. The landowners were willing to allow that to happen. They just wanted some control over who owns it and who's in there. And I didn't think it was unreasonable. And we had, we turned the Senate around. The Senate, when we got all done, they were actually looking to make it a little stricter. I had to back them away because we did it. I think we did a really good job to get it through the Senate. Now we're going to start the battle at the House. But, you know, the big, the other battle was to convince sportsmen that this isn't in your worst interest because, and I know Maine has got the same problem, Chris, but we've, the southeastern corner of our state is full of deer. It's got one of the healthiest deer herds in the state, in the state. And we have all kinds of issues down there. And so deer are being wasted because they're doing property damage. Mm-hmm. And we offer extra permits and a longer season and expanded this and expanded that to try and get those deer culled down or to give more opportunity. The problem is, I tell my wildlife staff, the problem isn't our wildlife, uh, the deer population. The problem is access. You can't yeah. get to these deer. The yeah. land's all locked up. It's all posted. And if we allow that to continue, we're going to be like some of those states uh, that are in the country now where you've got to ask permission every time. I don't know about you guys, but I like the opportunity to step off the road onto a piece of open property without having to go ask every single person that I'm, that I'm going to tread on their property. And a lot of states, you can't do that. You've got to go ask permission. And, or in some states, you've got to pay for permission. And I just don't, I'm, I worry about that. It's, it's not as far away in New Hampshire or Maine as people think it is. I agree. I mean, Colonel, like we talk, we talk about it a lot. Like I talked to a grad student from USM, uh, University of Southern Maine recently about it. And he was describing Maine and the Northeast more or less as being one of the most unique places where we're on a teeter totter and it's, it could go one way or another quicker than anything that we've ever seen. And reverse posting is right around the corner. And when we talk about those concessions and stuff about the tree stand law in Maine and the game camera law, I think it was probably five years ago where our game camera laws changed, where we had to have landowner permission in order to put game cameras out and they have to be labeled. We were kind of a little bit worried about it. We've run into some issues where um, there's no law enforcement exception to the law. So we have to have landowner permission also. We've uh, talked to 
our large landowners, our small landowners throughout the state to see if there was any consensus on uh, making some type of law enforcement exception. And really what it came down to was the same thing was the landowners just want to know who is on their land, um, whether you're hunting, whether you're biking, whether you're hiking, whether you're putting a game camera out. And that's why we kind of like, you know what, this is a good thing. It's not a bad thing if for the landowners to know. And I know that this year we gave out almost 20,000 access by permission only signs in the state of Maine. I encourage people to put access by permission only because then you have to go and talk to the landowner and find out who it is and you make that relationship with them. And then you don't have the confrontation that occurs when someone goes out there and talks to somebody that doesn't have posted land. So with that being said, like, I mean, there's definitely that sense of technology that's come around with on I mean, now you can put it right on your vehicle with Apple CarPlay and you can ride around and you can see the landowner and how many acres they own and sometimes their address and phone number, which is a great program. I mean, it's it's changed the game for game wardens when we go around and we're working stuff and you need to get a hold of somebody. With that aspect, it's also changed it for the hunters. They have that at their fingertips and they can go out and find out faster than anything who that landowner is. And it's just the respectful thing to do is just to ask if you can access that property and doing that is going to preserve what we have. And I think that that's just like, we really need to kind of like pound that home. And in here in Maine, our legislature looks at landowner relations that it's so important that they just gave us three landowner relations deputies that are going to work underneath uh, Rick and I, and our whole mission is for them to go out and go talk to the town offices meet their landowners, like go knock on door to door to door, see what the problem problems are, see what they're having for issues so that we can kind of confront it. Because the worst thing that we see is when it festers <laughs> with a landowner. And if there's someone that owns 300 acres and they've been having issues and they feel that there's been no FaceTime with a game warden. And if we can head those off before they get to the legislature, I think it would be, an, it would, it's a win-win. Absolutely. And I, you know, I told, I'm with you 100%, Chris, and I told some of my sportsmen that pushed back on this, I said, just for a moment, just for a second, think everybody owns something, okay? So you're sitting in your living room, I said this at the legislature the other day, and you look out your front window, and on your front lawn, someone's going up an oak tree with a tree stand, or they're mounting a tree stand, a camera at the base of that oak tree, and you have no idea who that person is, and then they leave. I can promise you, absolutely promise you, you're going to call the police and you're going to ask for that to be removed. you got to imagine a big landowner feels the same way about his entire property, not just the 300 feet around his home, his entire property. He's paying all of the tax money. He's insuring it. And he has a right, in my opinion, to know uh, it's just a courtesy thing to know who's on there. And so, and you know, it, it changed their mind because, and it, and it should, because we're all going to pay that price. This one guy made this woman mad. We lost 500 acres. And you know, Chris, it's going to be impossible to change her mind and get those signs taken down. It's, it's almost impossible. Yeah. And we've also and had, everybody. yeah. And the influx of people moving into the Northeast, it's mm-hmm. uh, and into the wooded areas too. Like we have a different mindset where the people that have lived here for the last 20 years understand the way things have worked, but with, yeah, with COVID coming around, like there's, I think Maine is like number five on the fastest growing States, like most pop, like becoming the most populated it's, it's growing faster than we have. And like you said, with our deer herd down in Southern Maine, just like it is in Southern New Hampshire, we had to go to, we had to change our, any deer permit lottery because we were having extra tags in these areas. And just like you said, 
it's not because we don't have the hunters that want to go hunt them. It's because no. they don't have the location to go hunt. They're fighting for spots to hunt. I know in our expanded, what we call our expanded archery, which is in like the city limits and stuff down in around Portland, Augusta, they actually are like tree stands on top of tree stands. They're looking at each other in their tree stands, hunting between looking at deer. And it's the largest deer complaints we get. It's the most places where people are having problems with deer and we just can't get enough people in there to hunt because there's just not enough property and access is getting, we're losing access more than we're gaining it. And I always say that I always use this term too. I'm like, there's only a couple places in the world where we're making land, Hawaii being one of them. (laughs) And in the state of Maine, we certainly don't have any volcanoes that are making land off the coast of Maine. And so we in New Hampshire. Yeah. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. until Mount Washington erupts, like (laughs) it creates a a lava (laughs) down into the coast. (laughs) We're not making any more land. (laughs) That's the stuff of dreams, Chris. Jeez. Yeah, thing to keep in mind. Thing too is, and I know that you guys see this too. I know that John, like, uh, mm-hmm. and this is like where, like, John and I kind of connected a little bit on the landowner relations side is the amount of illegal dumping. I mean, right. yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness! I mean, we just this year on our landowner relations cleanup day that we do in the fall, where we take all game wardens in the state of Maine, we recognize, like, we look and find all these locations that we can cl- uh, clean up. We did thirty-seven ton of trash that was cleaned up in the woods wow. and over 800, wow. like over nine, almost a thousand tires, which, yeah. and that's, that's just crazy. on the, that's just the stuff that you see and that we get complaints about that on the other flip side of it is shutting land down faster than other stuff. Right. Like, I mean, right. it's, it's the abuse of property. It's uh people being disrespectful to the landowners and that all kind of encompasses the illegal dumping. I mean, it's right. uh, it's unbelievable the amount of like I just just the other day I spent uh, thirty five hundred dollars to have an excavator go and crush a camper and remove it and put it in a dumpster and haul it off of a guy's three hundred and fifty acres that he allows people to hunt on. And yeah. I was like, if we, I mean, he was so appreciative of the program and what we have for our Keep Maine Clean program that we could go out and help him with that. And a lot of states probably don't have that program that they have the dedicated money to where we can go out and say, hey, listen, we're going to hire an excavator for the day. And our partners at Waste Management are going to provide a dumpster. I mean, we're very fortunate here in Maine that we have a really good relationship with Waste Management and they've helped our program tremendously. And BDS Tire, uh, they take all of our tires and grind them up. When we can get that's rid of great. that off of somebody's landscape, it's just uh, that it's a win. Yeah, that's a huge lift, no question. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, but I think these these are things that are going on nationwide out west. Is the access to the unaccessible federal land, John? I mean, that's certainly been a a big hot button topic out near you, and land access I think is going to continue in the future. Except uh, Texas. Now, Texas is the biggest, you know. So we got Benny Richards from Texas. And, yeah, Benny's just sitting back listening to all this. And everything's big in Texas. I don't think he's got a problem about access. Uh, <laughs> but he does. <laughs> he's been writing books like crazy in his retirement, and uh, including a children's book. So, hey, Benny, uh, welcome. Thank you for joining us for the 100th. And thanks for being uh, a guest, uh, previous guest on the Warden's Watch podcast. Well, I appreciate the invite. It's good to be here and good to talk to you guys. Do you do you, do you have landowner relations down there? Now that I say that, Benny, I mean, any issues in Texas, or basically, you need to have permission everywhere you go, right? Lots of issues. Lots <laughs> of issues. <laughs> yeah. Interesting to hear some of the issues that they're having up northeast, and 
and out west because we have those same things going on with the cameras and the stands. But in Texas, uh, after listening to them, it's not uh, in, in Texas. You don't have to tag your stand with your name and address, contact numbers, or nor do you have to have your camera marked in any way. And those cameras, there's one on every tree now. I mean, they, they are everywhere. And uh, actually, they've been a game warden's best friend because a lot of the trespassing cases that are being made now are thanks to a game camera catching a poacher or a trespasser. And so the landowner, <clears throat> you know, he calls the game warden and uh, they go check the camera and they get a picture of a neighbor or somebody down the road and they make that case. Hmm. But uh, the one thing that I do see uh, we have in common is access. Actually, we do have a problem in Texas, in my opinion, with access and what it is is the commercialization of hunting. It's yeah. getting so expensive right. in the state of Texas to hunt mm-hmm. that the common man is just about to get priced out of that sport. I mean, I talk to people all the time that say, well, I don't hunt anymore. And I go, what, you just lose interest? And they said, no, I couldn't afford it. Because you got these people that can't afford it that are going in and, you know, buying up or renting up, leasing up all this land. It's, it's getting hard to find a place to hunt in Texas. And the high fence issue is another biggie that's kind of complicating things. No, so, really. Benny, they're they're paying to hunt for access. They're paying money to hunt. <laughs> paying big bucks. I mean, yeah, you so got that's what I warned. No here. pun intended. And I've talked <laughs> to our land, large landowners up here in uh, in Maine that own land down in like the southeast and stuff, and they said that if they really wanted to make money, that it would be right. leasing leasing the hunting rights and leasing yeah. the land because they, there's so much money and it's so lucrative. Yeah, and I'm the common. T- Common sportsmen and women don't understand that, but that that is big business in some states, and uh, and that could very easily come to the Northeast, very easily. You know, and, and you're right, Benny. That'll price guys like me right out of it. You know. Yeah. Well, I'll throw a number at you that you wouldn't believe because I didn't believe it the morning I heard. It. But I had an issue with a with a hunter a couple of years ago, and he actually paid twenty five thousand dollars a piece for three deer. So he. $75 to kill three deer on a private ranch. <laughs> I can't afford <laughs> Now, these, these deer were not your average deer, and it was a private ranch with a high fence. But just your your common guy down the road here that's got 200 acres like y'all were talking about, mm-hmm. you know, property taxes are going through the roof, so he's looking sure. to, uh, trying to uh, churn up some revenue. So I can't blame him for going out there and trying to help pay his property taxes by charging hunters. Yeah. But it's uh, the prices of hunting are going up with everything else. And it's just, you know, people have to make decisions on whether they're going to pay their rent or their, their mortgage or whatever or go hunting. And, and uh, the hunting, it's uh, it's in trouble. We need hunting relief checks and not COVID relief. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And, and speaking of land, uh, John's been uh, highlighted lately and he re-released uh, his Hidden War and he's done such an awesome job with the videos, John. I, I'll tell you, they are very, very engaging. Uh, you're doing a heck of a job. But uh, again, growing marijuana on our land, state land, federal land, anywhere in California. And can you talk about your new release to your book and, and the timeliness of it? It's, it's kind of crazy what's going on on our southern border and on the other side in Mexico. Well, yeah, no, I will, Wayne, and I gotta, I gotta say a big thanks to Jay because <laughs> next week I'll start dropping some of the things he helped me on on some endorsement images that are just, just beautiful. So, Jay, you're a lifesaver, man. We couldn't do this without you. He's yeah. got our backs. And yeah, like I talked about in the beginning of the introduction when we all came up on screen, is 
how much more challenging the game warden job is today as a whole nationwide than it was, you know, before my 30 year career started. And, you know, some of you guys have been on a lot longer than me and it's just, it's really evolved. And we started to get into, you know, the Mexican drug cartels growing toxically tainted cannabis all over public and private lands in California. We had no idea that, you know, the egregious environmental damage, the EPA banned poisons going into the creeks and how dangerous these guys were. So, you know, as many of our listeners know, that kind of became a forte of mine halfway through the career. And we formed up the marijuana enforcement team, a tactical unit dedicated to that in California. A lot, Benny, like some of your uh, some of your uh, tactical units down there in Texas. You know, we actually picked uh, the saw group's brain a lot when we developed in Florida to do what we did. And the first book uh, is about sold out. So this is, if I can, if it'll show up there, this is the second printing, but we didn't want to just do a second printing. We wanted to do a second edition mm. to show what's happened since the first book was published right after I retired in 2019. Then the world shut down with COVID lockdowns, the Southern border just completely flipped upside down. And I was doing work on the Southern border and filming for our thin green line recoil TV series. And while we're hunting, you know, mature out ad Rams and, and telling a conservation story on the Southwest border of Texas, uh, out of the Calendaria area, uh, Benny, and right across from, you know, the uh, Rio Grande there into, you know, cartel infested Mexico on that part of the border, we were having traffickers going through people drugs while we were hunting on this one spot and border protection and the texas game wardens were down there helping us out and that was before we changed to literally no border control policy with what we've seen in the in the new administration so those challenges have gotten so much far beyond cannabis and what we did with this new book is we updated three years of what's happened since and i know when lockdown started talking to my forest service leo friends fellow game wardens our sheriffs our presence, as you guys know, in the backcountry really, really significantly decreased because we didn't know what we were up against in COVID, if we were going to have exposure to any of these uh, these poachers that might have whatever uh, is going on with the COVID virus or beyond. And the cartels went rampant and they didn't just do it in California. They went to 25 other states on the cannabis front. The methamphetamine thing is off the hook. The fentanyl now that's colored, the pills are colored to look like Skittles candy that are targeting our kids. We're up to like 110 to 120,000 deaths of young and middle-aged Americans across the nation. And these are all the same groups. And they, you know, being such an egregious um, criminal element against wildlife, that's why we got involved. And it really has gotten worse. And hence the second book being more than just a second printing, but really updating what's going on. Um, we've had a lot of good support all over the country from all the states. Um, Wayne and I talk about it a lot. We talk about it in a lot of podcast forums which has been been good. Uh, Joe Rogan just gave us a great shout out, haven't gotten the new book. And that kind of blew things up this morning of, oh my gosh, this is still going on. Game wardens do that. And well, we thought game wardens check fishing licenses, you know, and that's all they do. So this whole point of this aspect of what we do has always been to show game wardens are so proficient. They're so diverse. They have to think on their feet. They have to handle stuff alone. They have to get themselves out of scrapes with uh, the mind and the mouth over the tools nine times out of 10 when we're outnumbered. And, and the public really likes that. So a lot of support for the new book. I'm glad we're finally getting it dropped. Any, any of you guys want copies? I'm happy to send one out. Uh, Wayne and Jay have theirs already. And yeah, Thank we're just going to keep pushing the message. And uh, Chris, I know you and I have talked about doing some things on the podcast format and sharing experiences. And I will come back and get out of the the cartel uh, threats to wildlife and talk some about some of the uh, the public land environmental destruction. And what we saw in Montana and also all over California, especially through COVID, 
was that the dumping problem, Chris, you and I talked about. It's as if everybody that might have been a little bit out of money to go to the dump or they knew no patrol presence was out there for law enforcement. And in both states now that I frequent a lot, obviously, and living in Montana, it, it's crazy the amount of just massive dump sites on the edge of a public forest or deep into some of these really remote, pristine habitat areas that I hunt myself. And it's something that this landowner relation issue and how we're going to solve this, not only down south, not only in the east or the west, but how we're going to solve it nationally is a big problem because it's definitely making a dent on our waterways and on our habitat. Mm. Or I'll drop, I mean, tip my hat to the game wardens in Texas, because as we speak right now, there are probably between 75 and 100 Texas game wardens on duty on the border right now. Awesome. And uh, right now, it's all the field game wardens. They they can clear their calendar because the department's got them going about, I think on average, about every five weeks, the field game wardens have to go down and spend 10 days on the border. And those guys are being asked to do almost impossible job. And uh, that causes a lot of problems, manpower problems. But one thing, if you think about it, when you take a game warden out of his county, and he's the only warden in that county, yeah. and you out of the, of the, of the mix, for 10 days every five weeks, well, those, you know, the honey doesn't stop, yeah. right? Uh, Dumping uh, doesn't stop. Uh-huh. All those complaints don't stop. So when they pick up the phone and call, well, you know, they say, well, sorry, but your warden's down on the border for the next eight, nine, 10 days. Uh, he'll get back to you. So that that's a problem. And that's, that's kind of what uh, the Texas Parks and Wildlife and all the field game wardens in Texas are going through right now. They're having to juggle doing their normal duties, conservation law enforcement, with going down and doing, uh, you know, a job that the, the federal government ought to be taking care of, but they're not. For sure. Yeah, just just stretching our fingering line that much thinner, right, Benny? And uh, the, I've spent quite a bit of time down in Texas, both on hunts and doing outreach, exposing some of this issue. And your game wardens down there are amazing, and they are overwhelmed. And that was before the border policy changed. And uh, I, I know exactly where you're coming from on this. And, and you know, we experienced the same thing. When, you, when we formed up the MET team, and we had to take 13 really good vetted game wardens that were great at doing their job and had been in their counties and their districts for some of them 20 years plus. And now we're leaving patrol and we're not backfilling that patrol spot for maybe years. And there was definitely a, you know, there was a backlash to that, right? We can't do everything. And so we kind of had to, you know, band-aid the cancer on this particular problem and go tackle this as a priority. And, you know, the public felt the crunch and we all felt the crunch and we had backlashes internally and all that. And it just gets down to how important it is that we have enough of us out there and that we continue to recruit and retain game wardens, you know, throughout the country and we pay them better and all those different issues that all of us as game wardens in these states have had to deal with. We could double our numbers tomorrow and still not, you know, tackle at all, as you guys know. I'm proud of everybody that's down on that southern border in your state, Benny, and and anywhere throughout the country right now that's really wearing four or five different hats. Our guys were pulled into, you know, civil unrest stuff and protests and riot control and medical response uh, during the during the lockdowns. And we're, we're a pretty good state as far as numbers. We're up to close to 500 game wardens in California. But when I think of my old state, but with all with all that we're doing now, we're out there less even though we have a few more bodies. And I know the rest of the states have far less than that. Wayne, I know your numbers are real small. <laughs> yeah, I hear that number and I'm I, like, I know, wow. I know the difference there. And, <laughs> a girdle. Uh, yeah. 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 And, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, but we have all these numbers, but 100 out of those 500 game wardens are all assigned to cannabis right. enforcement now. 
So right. they're not doing patrol, right, Kevin? And they're doing That's this right. new task that we never anticipated we'd be doing anything with. But it's yeah. become the biggest water stealer in the quasi-legal market now and sure. drought issues. And it's not getting any better, you know, with the way we've regulated poorly in Cali on the whole cannabis front. So we've tied up a fifth of our force. So those numbers don't really show an improvement. We're just no, we're that's going, not a big really, help. That's right, right. We're, go, we're going down that rabbit hole. And I, I think we're, we're that way in all our states right now, just trying to do the best we can. And John, yeah. I was kind of wondering that, like, I mean, I know in Maine, like we used to do marijuana eradication. And then when the legalization came on, they were too lazy to grow it in the woods. So they were, they were yeah. growing it in the old shoe plants and everything like that, that they had purchased up. So has there been a decrease or is yes. it due to the cartel related stuff that they're still growing it in the national forest? Yeah, it's a great question. It has the one positive thing about regulation in Cali is it has reduced the amount significantly of, you know, cartel crews going way out into the national forest or on a state park or a county park. But what's happened, uh, you know, conversely to that, which has been a, a drastic disadvantage, is now the cartels, both the Asian and the, and the Mexican cartels, are just getting on private land, which is in a remote area, Chris, yeah. but it's easily accessible. Yeah. And they're growing with impunity and they're using all the same banned poisons and they're stealing all the water and they're killing all the wildlife and they're doing it in plain sight, but they're doing it 10 times in a higher number. Yep. I worked with a daily callers reporter, Jorge Ventura, who is just absolutely blown up good work on the border. You see him on Fox news reporting, you know, from the border. And he was embedded in Northern California for two documentaries. And I jumped and co-hosted and did some interviews and ran with Siskiyou County Sheriff's, which is Northern California's most remote, pristine County bordering the Oregon border. And I had been out of the game operationally for three years since retirement and jumped back in with my old partners from Siskiyou County. Jeremiah LaRue, our youngest sheriff in California at 37 years old with like, uh, you know, a handful of deputies. And we have the Asian cartels from from the Midwest that have absolutely taken over the county. And they've got 15,000 or more grow operations. Mexican cartels doing it as well. And they're going out on Fridays and doing the best they can to execute four to five search, search warrants and er eradication warrants. And we're not even putting a dent in it. And these guys are just laughing at the lack of any type of deterrence. Wow. And the hundreds of millions of gallons to billions of water being stolen, the illegal wells, the wildlife we were seeing, actually abandoned dogs and dogs that were abused by these growers that were abandoning them because they weren't working as protection dogs. I mean, it was a nightmare. And to see that in America, guys, and to actually expose that issue that it's kind of being kept very quiet on the West Coast, we did that with the Narcofornia documentary that's on the Daily Caller website. The concern for this issue has just been blown up that the water loss the environmental damage, the loss of habitat cover that they got a level for these um, for these hoop houses and you know, these closements. And one thing that's interesting is, you know, you guys um, dealing with outdoor marijuana grows periodically. It's one thing when you go into the outdoors and you have a big marijuana plantation and, you, you know, a, a big cartel site for us in California would say be 10,000 plants. And they'd have the EPA ban, toxic, you know, carbofuran, they smuggle across the border on all those plants. And we had an exposure issue because that stuff's so dang deadly but we're in open air. What was going on now is since they're not in the oh, forest man. as much and they're in these contained hoop houses, they still use all those same poisons. Oh. So, and it's all concentrated. <laughs> so it's even more toxic. And when I was going into these Siskiyou County hoop houses with the film crew, with Siskiyou County Sheriff and, you know, some of the reporters I was with, they wanted to run right in and start filming plans to do interviews. I said, well, guys, hold up, man. We got to ventilate that structure, cut the, cut the visqueen, pull it back. We got to pump air in the uh, carbon dioxide levels and 
just a massive concentration of this stuff that's not only going to the product into the black market that people are consuming without knowing it all over the country. But now think of all that environmental damage that those poisons cause just on that site. And they're concentrated tightly together. And they're like going down into a rural community in Maine or in New Hampshire and Texas. Every other house is an illegal grow site and they're not getting stopped. You know, mm. it's, it's a massive problem. And so that's something I really got to push on the side of what, you know, I've kind of specialized in. But the bottom line is there's all these other traditional wildlife loss problems that go in for us on the patrol front. And our patrol guys in that part of California are going, oh, man, I can't even go into that area. It's a war zone. And I don't have sheriff backup. And we're losing some of the best water sources we have left in the Golden State in the most beautiful area. And other states are going to fall to this depending on how we regulate or don't regulate cannabis. If you continue to do it like each individual state does, all it's doing is incentivizing the black market, incentivizing the cartels. And California has been the worst example of how not. They've been the best example of how not to regulate. And it's become much worse since we passed regulation in 2016 and I left. And that's something all the other states got to look out for, um, especially with the drought concerns we're dealing with nationally. Sure. Hey, Benny, you want to talk about some of your books? You got one that's going to be coming out. I kind of want to end up with a nice, uh, (laughs) a positive note. (laughs) Oak Wayne, I, I released another Game Warden book. It's here, here's a, a copy of it. It's uh, yeah, nice. Uh, it was Campfire Confessions. It was kind of a follow up book to the first one, and trying to finish uh, probably with this month my third one. It'll be a trilogy, but that's nice. it. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, and then I, and then I released this book. It's the best of furry tales. It's a it's a ch- <laughs> and I, I took my my cue from you, Wayne. I mean, I had to. It was a hard follow-up following your book but i gave it my best shot i think it's great and you had ashley hannah uh, do the the art in it and it looks awesome she uh she is an incredible artist i mean i was blown away her work yeah i did i did that just we've got a lot of teachers on uh, my wife's a teacher my sister-in-law's a teacher and i have some friends that are teachers and i kind of just wanted to do that for something that they could take into their classroom you know and show their students and and plus give to my grandkids. So it was, wasn't really something I was trying to monetarily, you know, promote really big. It was just something that I did as a more of a hobby as anything, but it's, it's been well received. Mm-hmm. So that's been kind of keeping me busy, but here again, mm-hmm. I've got this other one. And when it comes out later next month, uh, I'm probably going to do something else besides write for a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, Benny, it sounds like you've been busy uh, banging it out. And I gotta, I gotta give you and Wayne both kudos for going into the children's book realm with our story. Um, when Wayne's book was published, I bought a couple hundred copies and just started distributing them, you know, at my events, if Wayne and I weren't together in an event, just to get that thin green line message out to the kids. And it's, it's growing on kids that have never been exposed, especially some of the urban areas that I used to work in, in California that, oh, wow, that's such a neat job, you know, and this is cool. And I I might want to do this. And they have had, you know, no exposure to a a game warden in their life. And it's, uh, it's neat. I think we're paying it forward for the next generation by getting into the children's book realm and uh, kudos for it, man. I want to start checking yours out as well. I appreciate it. Yeah. Colonel, did you ever see this coming? Me retiring, podcasting, children's book stuff. Uh, We've been together for a very long time. (laughs) Yeah. The podcast stuff I could see, I could see, I could see the outreach stuff, the children book. I gotta, I gotta tell you, I still smile when I I think about that because that is not something I could have predicted any game warden to do. I agree. I think it's very smart to do that, you know, to reach out. I, I got called recently to go back to my high school, which was kind of weird. And, 
I walked in and I was sandbagged because I thought it was just a handful of students. It turned out they had the whole regional school. So I walked into an auditorium with 400 kids in it. And it, I got to tell you, it went very well. And even for having an old buck like me in there, it went well and it was great exchange. And, and you guys are right. It drove home the point that there is a lot of misconceptions about what we do and how we do it. And when they hear the stories and they hear just a few examples of, of the fun and the diversity and the importance of it all, uh, it generated more interest than I can stay with. I've already fit, uh, handed out assignments to four, you know, because I'm going to go and do the talk. The guys up there are going to do all the work. So, <laughs> I, you know, they want to do ride alongs. And, and I and John, you're right. I think getting that message out is is uh, key to our future because it's it's the only way that we're going to interest people in doing this because it's it's becoming more and more dangerous. It's becoming more and more difficult to get these kids interested in this. So you you starting with those children books are a good thing. No question. But I got to tell you, I was surprised. That is not, if you'd have told me 10 years ago, you were going to be writing a children's book. I could see you in a children's book, but I could never understand. <laughs> so I guess that's the, the politest way I could put that. But I'm going to write a book. I'm going to start a series when I get out of here about the about the knuckleheads we've gone out in the wilderness to go get and bring back to civilization. Because that those are stories that, that most people be... yeah most people think they're made up because they're just not going to believe some of the things that we've encountered over the years doing that. So. Mm. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So that's my plan. And maybe I'll, I'll look at Ashley illustrate that. <laughs> you know, Kevin, that brings up, that brings up a little niche that you just don't hear, read or see, you know, no. that's a fantastic no. idea, man. And, much and what I'm noticing up in the Northeast is there's a need. I think there's more and more people coming out to enjoy it, which is a good thing, but you got to do that safely. Boy, some of them just aren't. They don't get it. They don't sure. understand 4,000 feet and above. They really don't. It's clear. So so that kind of information is helpful. Anytime that we sit down and do that, I think it's I think it's pretty cool that we some of us have realized the value of that and taken it upon ourselves to do what you can, even in retirement, you guys, Benny and, and Wayne and John, do it in retirement, getting this message out. It's very important to those of us still stuck here. So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I will say we've had one true believer, and Jay, Jay Scott has been the, the true believer from the beginning. Mark Boshane, uh, again, Fish and Game uh, marketing guru, uh, you know, sent me to Jay. And Jay, you, you've been a believer in Warden's Watch, the Thin Green Line, since the beginning. And with all your experience, Absolutely. it blows my mind. Uh, Absolutely. No, I, the minute I heard you were, you were doing it, I was 
Well, first, when I started podcasting, I didn't have a lot of friends in podcasting. Nobody even knew what it really was. Right. Um, so to hear somebody coming out of Fish and Game to uh, want to do this with me was a, a godsend. And I, I was all on board. I loved what you, were, you had in mind, a continuation of the stuff you saw on TV. And yeah, to this day, I'm, st- I'm still a fan and, and I'm on board. And I hope you go to it another 200, not just another 100. Mm. And, and what Jay brings to the table for us is that sportsman's view, because let's face it, we have a game warden view when we, when we get out or even in that, we have a game warden view. And, you know, I w- John and I run things by Jay all the time to get his point of view. And sometimes it, it takes me off my feet. I'm like, I never saw it that way. And I think that's, it's, it's such an important thing for us to do to, to get that sportsman side of things, to get that consumer side of things. And besides the technology, you know, he certainly brought a ton um, of stuff to us. And I will say Jay and I had probably had the most interesting, exciting experiences hunting together in the short time we've yes, been hunting together. Very much um, so. We've had bucks in rut dr- dr- running around us. Uh, and it, it has been, been, been a crazy experience. <laughs> <laughs> we've had some great times in the field that's for sure and and on the mic and and behind the scenes and putting your shows together and and i i always appreciate you asking me hey what do you think about this content a lot of times to you is boring because you've seen it so many times and like well to me i think it's really interesting because i've never heard this stuff before right so it, it turns out that it's the stuff that that you're just day-to-day routine stuff for you and, and anybody that's in the outdoor law enforcement, to somebody that isn't on the inside of that, mm. it's a whole new world. And, and mm. I think the, sh- the TV show does that. The, the podcast does that. And it's always nice to hear a new perspective. Um, and, and Colonel, I, I watched uh, some of the stuff on the Senate hearing the other day. I didn't even know they were they were doing that stuff. I didn't know you could see it on TV or on, on YouTube. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that opened my eyes to a lot of stuff, too. And it's... Um, Mm. It, it's nice to be a, a part of it. And I appreciate you think that, that my perspective is important too, but it's definitely been interesting from day one. And I got to tell you this show, we, we could talk a whole separate podcast just on the benefits that the show was. And I was one of the old dog skeptics uh, saying, yeah, no, no way. We're not doing this on television. You guys out of your mind. It <laughs> was looking back over this when I retired, it was probably the smartest thing we ever did for many reasons, but we did keep full edit rights so we could control absolutely everything that went on. And I would not do it any other way because they're, they're selling a sensational television program and we're trying to live with these people that we're, mm-hmm. that we're dealing with afterwards. And there's a balance there. And I maintain from the beginning, and I think they saw it after 12 seasons, you can make it highly successful and still keep mm-hmm. some of that gore out of it. So, but anyway, uh, and by the way, just so you know, they're coming back to do some filming next week. I may get us in for another round of it because they want to try to sell it to somebody else. So, and I don't dare say no to it. It's been a huge benefit to us. I've got a newer class of young guys that I'm going to get fired up on this thing and who knows where it'll go. But the one thing that, that I will never forget is the emails that came They still come in from around the world, not yes. just around the country, around the world, Australia, Brazil, you know, people are watching this thing worldwide and the interest level for things that all of us look at and laugh about, you know, mm-hmm. this, this rabid coon that generates 35 emails. It just, and that rabid coon, I, I don't even want to hear about it. Don't, don't come in and tell me that story. Cause I'm just sick of it. That's going to be my right. children. That's going to be my children's book. 
<laughs> the yeah, rabbit coon. I like it. That's probably the book I'll write, Chris. Oh yeah, I'm on it. I got. I already started the illustration. He's on the end of a catch pole. <laughs> you thought Maine too with the because I've seen it in the, on Facebook postings. You know the the stuff, the everyday stuff that we just took for granted that people think is very interesting. It just never ceases to amaze me. Yeah. The legislators will come up, and I have a hard time even showing interest when they're talking to me about it because I could care less, man. This happens all the time. But to these folks, it's very rare. And it and it just the other thing it leaves me with is it just tells me how bad we all were across this country with letting people know what a what an important and, and vital role these guys and men and women play yeah. in in both the sporting world and the and the environment and all of that because these people are fascinated by it and they understand it and respect it. And uh, thank God for the show. Cause I would have never known that to the level I know it now. I think, so, I think like, to, to your point too, Colonel, I think like, I mean, everybody that's on the screen right now, like was so professional in every aspect that each, each show that they were on, whether it was John or Benny and yeah. you guys over in New Hampshire and stuff. And I think that showing that professional nature and, common sense and not only just grounded where everyday people just doing a job. I think that uh, everybody here that's here today, like just showed that. And I think that that united us all across the country is showing like what game wardens really are all about. You know, what was most interesting, Chris, was my conversation with Animal Planet right when law enforcement at the height of law enforcement taking the negative hits these last couple of years over these yeah. incidents mm -hmm. and, and talking to the executives fully expecting that phone call was going to be something like, Listen, with all the negative uh, press on police, we're going to kind of steer away from these shows. No hard feelings. And, you know, it was just the exact opposite. The guy said to me, the executive producer that I spoke with said, no, quite frankly, he says, we're going to look to try and do more of this because he said this is the only positive thing we're seeing. You guys present a whole different side to law enforcement that's completely different from what we're seeing on CNN on the, on the nightly news. And that what I wish every game warden across this country could have, could have been in on that conversation because that was pretty impressive. Yeah. And uh, hey, they certainly yeah, recognize yeah. us as doing a better job, which was nice to hear. You know, Kevin, on that point, um, I think it's great that the show for you guys back East has gone that long. And I think the key yeah. is you have editing control because you get to show the whole picture. And right. we didn't have that with Wild Justice, but I'm incredibly grateful for three years of Wild Justice because it did get so many people into you know, what we do. And I know when Wayne and I started the Thing Green Line podcast right during COVID lockdowns, what did we see everybody doing to try to get out of depression, to try to get, uh, you know, mm. out of the, the negativity of what they were under? They were starting to go outside. They were starting to get mm. on rivers and creeks. They were going into the forest. And we saw this, what, 30 to 40% increase in hunter safety yeah. online certification classes, weapons being bought to learn how to hunt. And some people were doing it out of, you know, the fear that they need to, you know, subsist without a supply chain but right. overwhelmingly the game wardens were out there and they were the only people contacting those folks through right. the worst you know probably the historically what we've seen in our lifetime throughout the nation of one of the worst times we've ever endured and it's just such a positive message animals and protection and wildlife and waterways and us being out there with the public that like us i think i think yeah. we're really lucky to be in that unique realm in the law enforcement world when our brothers in blue so to speak were just getting pummeled through everything um, that the country was experiencing. And, uh, you know, I talked about this with Nancy Foley, our, our uh, previous chief of the law enforcement division in California, uh, a longtime friend and mentor who brought me up. And Wayne and I had her on the Warden's Watch podcast as well. And, you know, she was the chief that made that decision 
do we really want to do this because we're not going to have edit control? And you know, as the big boss, Kevin, that oh yeah, what what you know that you're making that decision for the protection of all your officers. And you know, we had some minor problems that made us stop, but nothing that was mission critical. Nothing was devastating. But every year or every half a season, she'd ask me and a couple of the PIO captains and other people, "What do you guys think? Should we continue? Uh, yep. Should we not continue? When is when is the breaking point?" I told her then, just like what you're doing with your guys, I said, "If we can control the story and we feel really safe with the production crew, we should drive this truck till the wheels fall off." That's right. Because we don't have a big outreach budget like state police or highway nope. patrol. We don't have nope. a lot of officers, and how are we going to get that message out? And like you said, at best, Kevin, this was worldwide viewing. We were same thing. We were getting those emails, those calls about. What about that bobcat that you had to, you know, that was injured in the rehab and, you know, ended up running into with one of my young officers at the end of one of the last seasons, a cow, a heifer, completely starving in a quicksand pond, you know, on a wildlife area. And that blew up. Everybody was like, what happened to the cow? We dragged her out with winches on the quads. And, you know, sadly, that cow did not survive. But we had to tell the public that a month later, Nancy was going, what is up with this cow? (laughs) It's it's livestock. It's not even one of our native animals. And the world is just hanging. They're holding their breath for this mama oh, cow, yeah. you know, that was so emaciated. And we, we didn't see that coming, but man, did everybody look good being out there doing what they're doing, right, Chris, uh, Wayne? So hmm. many, and I know like uh, I've seen a lot of the Lone Star stuff that Texas is doing and Texas is so darn diverse. It's just a great show because of the diversity of what you guys do that some of us right. don't. But everybody That's looks right. really good on that show. So it's cool they're coming back for you, Kevin. And you guys are Gonna gonna keep doing some stuff. We need it right now. Yeah, it's a good message for the whole profession, certainly. And uh, it, like you said, it's a platform, and I used it to get out messaging. And uh, you're never gonna have a worldwide stage that's free of charge to get your yeah. message out. This yeah. is an opportunity to <laughs> and free, ride that thing hard because it'll go away. It's gonna go yeah. away. For sure. Uh, I won't. I won't be disappointed when it's gone forever. It's a lot of work, yeah. Chris. You remember? It's a lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Right, I remember, like John, you were talking about that. It was like, uh, and I, I mean, I feel for you guys, Kevin, because I mean, we got twice as many guys as you do in the field, and yeah. it's just, it's, it really does drag you down. It's like, uh, oh yeah, we did oh, it for yeah. six, six years, and it was just. I remember the first year when we did it, they. They weren't really splitting up between everybody, and it was they were with me for a month straight, and I was just burnt out. And I was like, "Oh, yeah. oh my god!" I was like, "I don't know if I'm going to be able to maintain this pace." Well, I've had Chris, just like you, I've had I, I, I like it, Glenn Lucas. You know, they rode Glenn really hard because the camera liked him, and the, yeah. and the girls liked him, and he was popular. And but he finally came to me and said, "Listen, I'm going to be divorced if I don't get out of this." <laughs> yeah, I'm going to. Yeah. And I said, "Well." Well, you should be for the team. You should take that for the team. There's plenty of women out there. <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I let him out, and, and I, got a, I got a lieutenant right outside this door who was just didn't sign up for it. I volunteered him because uh, he was a perfect example of what I wanted on the screen. And and you wear these people down, and mm-hmm. and so we cut them out. And now I've got a new fuel force, or part half a new fuel force, and it you know we'll give them a shot and see. It's also a different generation. It'll be fun to watch to see what, yeah, I think too that, like, on, what they bring. You know? I think the thing that was really difficult for me and probably Benny too and John and probably Wayne even like, I mean, we were like, we're trying to do the field work and the show. Right. And also right. at the same point, like those emails coming in, the letters mm-hmm. from the kids and stuff. Yeah. I was trying to maintain that pace yeah. and trying yeah. to stay yeah. up with them so that I had the, cause Hey, I was the kid that, wrote to Ray Bork or uh, sure. 
like sure. weight blogs back in the day. And I, I was, yeah. if he had written me back or sent me a baseball, I would have been like a fan for life. Right. But, oh, yeah. So it was hard to maintain that at the same time as holding up a district and doing the filming. Cause you really want to have that interaction with the kids. So that's why it was so nice mm-hmm. when you could kind of have those one-on-ones at like certain events and stuff that you could see them. You just couldn't keep the pace with all the emails and the no. letters coming in though. Yeah. No, no. You know, and I answer every one of them too, Chris, if they take the time to write, I'm with yeah. you. I do the same thing. And it is, I'd get a, a folder full of them and then I'd take a day and just, do, you know, yeah. half a day and do it. But it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. And uh, when yeah. we edited as a team, we edited every one of those episodes yeah. for every episode we watched four and five times. You were just sick yeah. to death of it. You know. Luckily, I'm fortunate enough. My wife runs our information education division for the department, so I kind of yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty lucky. Well, the, you know, to Chris, to what you just said, and Colonel as well, we had a lot of officers that just did not want to participate. You know, and if it yeah. was an order from you know the chief or the captain, they do it, but you you don't want to force that. That's not going to no. be a good for the public to see or any of that. So, Chris, I know you went through this, but the three seasons we did, they ended up back in our back door running with like three teams yep. only, you know, yep. for, to get those stories. And an eight hour day was a 16 hour day. And like you guys, when the kids are writing letters or they're meeting you at events or whatever, that's, that's the best part of it all yep. is, you know, every, you know, you're going to get some of those kids being game wardens and how lucky are we that we got that opportunity and if the show dro- drove that, but it did get very exhausting when you ended up being one of the only two or three, you know, highlighted teams throughout the state yep. doing it every single season and and like you guys you know doing exemplary work in your agencies i never wanted to show the same old mundane case i yeah. would we had a spotlighting case we had a cartel you know met raid takedown case that took months to make and i mean there's a lot of stress involved the the dangers of that there's a lot of time in it and it's it's yeah. exhausting in a way but you want to give them the best stuff to show the yeah. diversity of what we do you just don't want to be the only one doing it right. <laughs> so right. i was i i let out a very big breath and some of the other guys that were on the show a lot and, and gals we all just we talked about it and went you know i would it's do time. it again but i'm kind of glad colonel that we're, we're taking a long tactical pause and maybe forever, but I, we needed a break too. And I've always wanted to do the cross show. Like I, no, I've, that I would have been go, great. Yes. I want to do the cross show no. with like Benny. I want to go to Texas cause I'm scared of snakes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, go down there to wrestle on alligator. Never yeah. 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 You know, you know? <laughs> you know I, uh, I, Colonel, I, I was listening to you and I was very similar to you being an old hand when I, when they ran, idea of being on a tv a national tv show by me i said nope ain't doing ain't got time and yeah. i got uh, all and told by my captain that yeah you're the you're the guy so you're gonna do it yeah yeah camera crew and everybody showed up that first day I, I gave them a mini speech in my driveway i said look guys i'm not changing do things i'm not changing the way i say things and y'all are on the ride please don't get my way are y'all ready to roll and they just and six years later i mean i couldn't have been more wrong i was i was skeptical at first but looking back on it it was one of the most positive things that ever happened in my career yeah so i'm glad i got voluntold and i changed my mind and i made some good friends and uh i can't go anywhere now i was here not long ago i was in the sticks in the middle of colorado somewhere for the town and i went in to buy some supplies and uh the woman behind the counter, she looked up at me in her eyes. <laughs> <laughs> it's you. 
it's you. And I said, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And she yeah. ran around the counter and just gave me a bear hug. And, and I can't tell you how many times it happens to me that there are a lot of people out there that that show has positively impacted. Yeah. And we've fans out of some people that, like you said, had no idea what we did until we showed them. That's and right. once we showed them, uh, they were fans for life. I got some blooper reels, Benny, that I could sell when I retire. Uh, I bet. Uh, they, they saved that. In fact, I'm on a few of them with phone conversations because I bone heads and they don't tell you they're wired up to the show that particular day to get where the camera crews are and you launch into this big dissertation and they let you go. And then when you're all done swearing and acting like a fool, then they tell you, hey, you know, Ben says hi, who's the producer, you know. And that ends up on a blooper tape. So I might look to market some of that stuff when we get out of here. That's a good money maker, and it'll sell because people will love it. It's funny. Some of it is funny. <laughs> that was one of the things that I had to uh, get used to was having that camera on me, tw- you know, the whole day, and I would forget it was there. Yeah. Yes. Times when I tend to have a mouth like a sailor, and yeah. <laughs> remind me, and I go, oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that yeah. was me, Benny. That was me. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Well, it was a good thing, and I don't know if we'll get back into it or not. I, You know, they're a good bunch, so I didn't want to say no to them. I said, come up and give it a shot. But I think the market is, is pretty well saturated with other groups, you know, so I wouldn't be disappointed if we don't do it. But I'm, <laughs> but I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth if we get another, you know, another season or so. I have... I have, I'm sure I'd come up with a plan for some messaging. So hmm. we'll, we'll do that. If we don't, then we're okay. Cause we're busy hmm. without it. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Th- thanks guys. <laughs> they really uh, appreciate it. We've gone like an hour and eight minutes, uh, nine minutes. And uh, yeah, I, I can't. How long's your show wing? It's as long as it is. No, we, we, oh, can, okay. we can go hours if you want, but I, I try to generally keep it to around an hour, and sometimes we'll yeah. do two shows. We'll split it up if it goes longer. It's yeah, the attention span. You know, my attention span is usually, you know, I'm going to chase another squirrel somewhere. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, it's really appreciated. There's some other people I really got to say thank you to uh, that help on the backside that no one ever sees. Uh, Morgan Day was with me for a while. She'll be a Wisconsin game warden at some point, college student right now. She did a lot of the backside, the notes, the art. And now I have a, a, a dynamic, uh, incredible lady with me, Stacy DeRoches, She's who does yeah. all that stuff. Um, she does all the, the, the art you see and the, the show notes and stuff like that. And uh, these people did it. For, they do it for nothing. And it's, it's yeah, it's great. Because that's one thing. You know, Warden's Watch, uh, we're, we're, not, we're not killing it as far as uh, the, the income goes. And that's where I got to thank my Patreon members, our Patreon members, John, because those guys are, are really footing the bill when it comes to that, you know, just $5 a month helps us to, to continue on uh, with the Patreon. So thank you to Patreon. And if you guys, you know, the listeners, become a Patreon member, that just helps us. That $5 a month keeps, uh, keeps the lights on, so to speak, because all those ads you hear, it's like pennies I'm making on that. I'm happy for my pennies, don't get me wrong, <laughs> because uh, it pays for some of the bills. <laughs> I've run into people playing, boy, you're killing it with all those ads, aren't you? I'm like, well, if you know how much those ads were getting, making money, it, it would be shocking to you. And uh, Waypoint TV that uh, we're on is Waypoint Podcast, so they help distribute it, puts us on Megaphone and uh, partner with Spotify too. It's 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 all been good. It's been a huge learning experience for me and John, for sure. Uh, good, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. continues to be 
But Bailing us out of crisis, smoke. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, thanks. I mean, the colonel, you were on number three, number three. I, I think I maybe had a eight hundred people listening at that point, and uh, you know, just the other day, there's an outdoor radio show that's actually on uh, the podcast, and they're looking at to regurgitate some of the old stuff. Uh, I just I, I had to chuckle that the title I titled it the the colonel and I after the king and I. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, I might write a book too. <laughs> there you go. Colonel in the woods. <laughs> yeah, and I, I guess you know, this year we downloaded a hundred and seventy-five thousand downloads. Kind of boggles my mind. Jay says we're doing good, so. <laughs> yeah, you are. We're definitely doing well. Now we, we need to get you up to Rogan. Yeah, yeah. Well, John's been there. <laughs> yeah, John's there. Well, it, it looks like I might be going back, guys. And needless to say, any awesome. podcast appearance I'm on, big or small, we always talk up Warden's Watch. I always talk up where we're going, where to find us. And Chris, Benny, and Colonel, um, we appreciate you guys promoting it as well mm. because it does continue to grow. And Wayne and I were so in it in the moment and talking about some of the same stuff. Until you really look at the numbers, we don't. We don't really we don't really internalize that, you know, we think we want to keep going on this, you know, putting out yeah. the effort, you know, uh, the ad fees and stuff that Wayne talked about and, you know, and the, uh, the Patreon members growing, certainly they could be growing faster, but we're doing well, you know, mm, we're, good. we're uh, definitely above the curve and we're getting good responses and we have some pretty big players that I've been fortunate to connect with on their podcast uh, platforms that are following us now and referring mm, people good. our way. It helps if all of us can do that with whatever exposure we've had because of our TV time or what we're doing in or out of agency. And, and you three guys, man, we can't thank you enough for being yeah. on the show and helping promote it and all, all you do for conservation and the thin green line guys. Thank you so much. For sure. Great. And that's a wrap for the warden's watch bonus. Really appreciate it. Thank you guys again. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch.